All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are with another one of these episodes without an intro. I've been doing a lot of these lately, just like no intro. You know, sometimes I think intros on podcasts are overrated anyway. It's like if you've listened to the podcast enough, then you've heard the same 30 to second to one minute long intro a thousand times, and you're like, all right, just get on with it. You know, you, you skip the first 15 seconds or 30 seconds. You, you hit that button a couple times. You're like, let's get on with the show. Come on, come on. So anyway, sorry for just wasting your 30 seconds with that. In this episode, I'm talking about religion, particularly a religion that there's been a lot of, there's been some talk lately. And by talk, I mean, well, you know, other people that I listen to, influencers, podcasters, um, somewhat famous people who are talking about how at this point, it seems that there's only one religion that could really, at least among the major, you know, religions that um, are popular nowadays is only one of those religions that's actually sticking to its 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 principles and can kind of even be considered a true religion at this point anymore and this isn't me saying this this is other people saying this and i wanted to talk about this um religion in this topic just because it's something that it's it, it's always fascinated me the topic of religion itself has fascinated me i i am not religious i am not religious okay just to give a quick background on me so i'm a 34 year old man from the united states i grew up um in a traditional christian lutheran not i'm not even going to say traditional in a lutheran uh you know christian um, upbringing, but was, you know, my family was not particularly religious. My mother was more religious than my father still is. She goes to church fairly regularly. My dad does not. Um, it's all good and well. They still get along. I had a period in my life where I became a bit more religious than I was before, uh, probably from like 18 to 20 years old um, when I would go to church, you know, every week. Uh, then I kind of had a falling out, not really, <laughs> not really because of any personal experience, but where I was not really religious, or I just kind of throughout my 20s just became less and less interested, not less and less interested in religion, but less and less interested in being religious, if that makes sense. Um, and now at this point, I consider myself a 34-year-old man who uh, I, I guess sometimes I'll do the thing where I like tell people, yeah, you know, I'm Christian. Right. Like if I'm in a context of, you know, international people from different parts of the world, you know, they'll ask what my religion is and I'll say Christian. Right. Not that we even have to talk about that or introduce ourselves as that that often. But I'm, I'm really not even I mean, I, I don't know if I would consider myself. I don't I don't really like the term atheist. I would say maybe agnostic is the best term for it. Um, but I've always been fascinated by the topic of religion just because I am. Well, you know, before I became a total meathead who now likes to do more weightlifting and personal training than uh, anything else, <laughs> I, I was a very much an, uh, a global studies, international relations nerd. Um, you know, in my so in college, I studied international relations. Um, you know, throughout my early twenties, in particular, I was studying a lot of different languages. Um, you know, traveled the world a decent amount. Um, like I'm, I'm a real nerd when it comes to this international relations stuff. Kind of still am, although I don't really pay quite as much attention to it. I should say I didn't pay quite as much attention to it probably from the time I was about 28 or 29 up until about 33. But now all of a sudden, um, just because of, you know, kind of the changes that have been going on in the world and in my life, here I am back thinking that it's time to to really start studying this stuff more. Not even not even studying, because I'm someone who I don't even really like to, to sit down and read books. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I don't even have time for that. But really just kind of observing the world and, and, and taking part in some of these societal changes that are happening because we're at an interesting time in humanity. And anyway, um, so now that that four minute or so intro of myself and my interest in this topic is uh, complete, I want to go into it and say that what I hear people saying is that that Islam is the only religion that we can really still actually consider a religion just because it is still upholding most, and you know, most is the operative word here, most of its core values and principles. People talk about this a lot, you know, particularly when you look at the, the Judeo-Christian religions. Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about Judaism. I don't know that much about Judaism, you know, compared to Christianity and Islam. I definitely know a lot more about Islam. Um, I speak Arabic. I lived in the Middle East. Well, I've been to probably five or six Middle Eastern countries. Um, but I know a lot about Islam. This is not just some random, you know, guy from Minnesota. Well, it is a random guy from Minnesota. I am a guy from Minnesota, but um, who doesn't have any idea what he's talking about with this, particularly probably from the time I was 19 up until about 27. 
Um, like I said, you know, I learned Arabic. I spent some time in the Middle East. I studied Islam. My interest in it came from um, wanting to either work for the U.S. government, whether that was in foreign affairs, diplomacy, possibly even in intelligence like the CIA or something like the FBI, something like that. Ultimately, none of that stuff ended up working out for me um, for reasons that maybe I'll share at a later date. Who who knows? Who cares? Um, and really, at this point, like my relationship, well, I mean, I have no formal relationship with the U.S. government other than that I pay taxes and the government provides me services. And I have, you know, mixed feelings about the U.S. government as a whole, but I still live in the U.S. and I'm grateful for for the U.S., uh, you know, as a country. Um, but, you know, I don't work for the U.S. government. I don't plan to work for the U.S. government at any point um, in, in one of those formal capacities. But anyway, um, I know a lot about Islam, um, and I'm going to talk about it in this episode because it's interesting. I, I think that uh, over the past however many years, in, you know, you could say this started decades ago, but over the past particularly the past five or six years, um, and it seems to be even a growing sentiment that the, that the West is falling. You know, you'll hear people say that, right? Like, ooh, the, the, the West is falling. You know, the, the West is, is collapsing, is no longer the, the great place that it used to be. You know, and obviously this is kind of, this is even kind of what Trump rallied on, you know, the first time around, make America great again and blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, before I even, okay, so just to give my opinion on on everything like is the west collapsing you know what they'll say about it the 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 conservatives whether you're looking at religious people or just in general republicans conservatives here in the u.s and around the world they'll say that the west is collapsing for example because um you know we've got they'll always use the transgender stuff now they'll say you know we're teaching kids about how they can change their gender at a super young age um you know they'll also say that like the family unit's broken down it's being destroyed um, you know, well, and they'll say because of this, you know, crime is super high, inner cities are unsafe. I mean, it's all kind of, you know, related, supposedly, right? And they'll say things like, um, you know, our kids are addicted to pornography and, you know, they're not developing real relationships. And they'll also say, you know, we've got a health crisis in the West, which probably ties in. Like, there's a lots of reasons. There's, there's a lot of reasons that you could say that that the West, particularly the U.S. as a society, is is falling. Okay, now we could talk about the economics of it and all that stuff, but like on a societal level, these are, are kind of the arguments that either the the more traditional religious people or the um, just like political conservatives in the U.S. and around the world will make about why the West and the U.S. in particular is supposedly collapsing. Just society, moral values, things like that are supposedly collapsing. Um, and so... While I, I I do agree with that sentiment, I do agree with that to a certain extent. Um, however, I'm I'm also one who I don't really have much of like a black and white or right or wrong view of the world. And I also think, see, I think as humans, it's I think it's human nature to a certain extent to um, to put things in either like a right or wrong category or like a good or bad category. I, I've said this on this podcast before. I don't really believe in good and evil. I don't. I, I just I don't believe in good and evil. Um, and that's part of the reason I, I'm actually part of the reason that I'm not religious. But, you know, that's a whole other long topic about the good versus evil. But in general, I think as humans, we tend to look at things in this very, you know, black or white thing where we say, um, you know, okay, yeah, this society is either rising or it's falling, or this is either a great thing or a really bad thing that's happening right now. When the reality is, Human beings are very complicated. Human life is very complicated. There's a lot of gray areas in all this. And just because, you know, certain trends in a society might make it seem like the society is collapsing, it doesn't mean that it is totally collapsing. Like, look around me right now. Like, I live in, I live in Minneapolis, okay? It's 2023. I live in Minneapolis, which is arguably maybe the most liberal city in the United States, okay? Like, you know, if you want to look, if they, if they say that the, the United States, for example, is collapsing or the West is falling, you know, because of this trend towards uber progressivism um, and, and, you know, we've gone too far, for example, with the, you know, I don't know, the transgender movement and, you know, it's gone too far with all the big push uh, for the LGBTQIA uh, plus community and everything like that. We've taken it too far. Society's collapsing. Masculinity is dead. Um, you know, things like that. I agree with that sentiment for the most part, and I also live in the epicenter of it. Like, Minneapolis is the, like I said, you could argue that it's the most liberal, progressive city here in the U.S., and you could also argue that it's one of the ones that has gone downhill the most over the past five years. Now, part of it was related to the pandemic, part of it was related to the George Floyd killing, um, 
you know, in 2020, um, you know, crime is up, drugs are up, uh, and it's not like I have statistics on the top of my head in, on this, but you can kind of feel it walking around the streets. It's more dangerous just in general than it used to be. I felt that downtown Minneapolis used to be a pretty nice, safe place. Now it's not like it's unsafe, but it's a little sketchier. Anyway, so, so like I said, I live like at the epicenter of this. Um, However, it's not like it's like that bad. Okay, we're not talking about like it's a war zone out there. Or we're not talking about like it's a totally collapsed, impoverished society. Like lots of people here, like we're still living good. You know, like it's summer in Minneapolis. We're doing fine, okay? And so what I, all that to say is that when people say like, oh, the West is falling or the West is collapsing, uh, okay, it's, it's not like a black and white thing. There's a lot of gray area in between here. Um, but it's an interesting topic to address uh, just because I do, I do see a trend. I guess I don't like the way society is going, uh, particularly here. I guess I will call it in the West. The West is a very broad term, obviously, but we're looking at the United States, Western Europe, you know, and then I guess if you want to include Latin America in that too, um, Canada. Um, you know, I don't like the way society is going in certain ways, um, and it makes me sit here and wonder, is it time for me to look into other philosophies on life to try to figure out what I think the best way for myself to move forward is and what I think the best way for us to move forward as a society is, which makes me look into religion, which makes me look into Islam, okay? Because Islam is something that I've I've had mixed thoughts about it. You know, the point there was a point in my mid to late twenties um, where I was just saying, you know, you know, no, Islam is just it's 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 awful. It's a terrible thing, and we can talk about, you know, and I'll go into a little bit of the details in a little bit here about, um, you know, the way women are treated. Um, you know, the and and actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to leave out the topic of like extremism or Islamic terrorism and all that stuff from this episode because I am a big believer that. Um, Number one, you know, terrorism and extremism exists in all religions. It has existed in all religions at some point. It's a very small percentage uh, of the followers that go down that path. Um, you know, it was highlighted a lot in the you know 90s and 2000s uh, throughout the West, partially because of the media, partially because there were very real things that happened. You know, whatever your views on 9-11 are, you know, whether you think it was an inside job or not, who knows. Um but, um, you know, there were very real examples of Islamic terrorism happening, more so even in the Middle East than in the West, <laughs> you know. Um, there, there were very real examples of that happening throughout the world. Um, however, like I said, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to focus on that because it's still a very small percentage of the Muslim population that would even consider going down that path. And people from all religions have done it throughout history. Um, and human beings just, you know, it's, 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 it's just part of what human history has been. So when I sit here and analyze, like, whether or not a religion might be a good choice, I'm not going to really factor in, like, the less than 1% of bad apples, so to speak, or, or really bad situations. Because, like I said, I don't even necessarily believe in good and evil people. Um, but that less than 1% that falls into, like, the extremism or terrorism category, I'm not even going to bother addressing that because I don't think it's worth factoring in when you consider uh, whether or not the religion itself has good principles and is a good idea. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, this is not me like addressing that. I'm also not even going to really talk about the, the Sunnah and Shia uh, differences, the Sunni and Shia, you know, sects. Obviously, many of you will know that, you know, the, well, okay, so, you know, there's, there's Sunnah and Shia, Sunni and Shia Muslims, and the greater majority now fall into the, the Sunni uh, category. Um, but we're not even going to, we're not going to worry about that too much, you know, cause the differences are, honestly, the differences are a headache to try to understand. Um, but, um, but I'm, I'm going to talk about Islam. Um, and I'm going to talk about what I think, I don't know, like the pros and cons of it maybe nowadays would be and just religion in general. And the reason, see, the reason that people are making this case that Islam, that Islam is the only religion that we can really truly still count on and call a religion, at least out of the major ones that are followed nowadays is they'll take the example, they'll compare it to Christianity and say, well, Christianity, like churches here in the U.S. are doing, uh, are so far away from their underlying principles that they don't even count as churches. You know, you go to a church service and they're, they're like telling random stories. I mean, it's been a while since I've been to one, but even like 10 or 15 years ago when I would go to church more often, they would be like sharing random stories just about like, 
about like life, but that like didn't even have anything to do with religion, moral values, anything like that. It's it like I saw church as like a way of just like to meet some people. Not a bad place by any means, but I did not see it as like a place where you would learn about <laughs> religion. Um, and or even necessarily like about principles. I saw it as more of like a hangout place. Like I literally, I remember when I was going to, uh, what was it? What do they call it? Was it communion? Well, what's the thing you do when you're in? No, not communion. Jesus. Um, so you can tell I'm not religious because I take the name of the Lord in vain right there. When I'm when I'm struggling for words, I'm like Jesus. What the? <laughs> um, Gosh, what a con- they call it confirmation. Yeah, I don't even know what they're confirming you in. But I remember, like, we're, we would, like, go to church, like, once a week on Wednesdays, like, Wednesday evenings, you know, as, like, seventh graders. And they're giving us, uh, they would give you, like, sodas and stuff like that. You're, like, drinking soda and eating some, like, junk food and, like, hanging out as a group. And then there was a guy who, like, was, like, in his 20s who was apparently, like, the leader of our group who, like, looked like he was kind of just, like, a drug addict who had, like, found the church recently and was, like, all right, I'm going to help some kids, you know? <laughs> like, like, that's what we were doing at that time and when we were in our religious education um nothing against it it's fine but i'm like all right whatever but like nowadays the reasons that people will say that churches have just lost their way is because uh, well a big part of it i think now has to do with the massive lgbtqia plus etc movement here in the united states um which has almost kind of taken over society in certain ways and this it's a tricky topic for me too because you know, what my stance on it right now, and our stance has kind of evolved throughout life. My stance on it right now is that I support gay marriage. I do support gay marriage. I don't really like the push of transgenderism on society. Um, but anyway, that's another topic for another day. And just in, you know, in, in all these major religions, at least the Judeo-Christian ones, like I said, and, and don't even quote me on this because I don't know that much about Judaism, but I know a decent amount about Christianity and Islam to speak about this. Obviously, um, you know, homosexuality is frowned upon, okay, in Christianity and Islam. Now, a lot of these churches, uh, as I understand it, are starting to, you know, fly the LGBTQ flag, right? They're promoting gay marriage. And, and like, that's that's one of the examples of where people are saying, you know, these churches, Christianity, it's not even, they're not even, you know, going along with the main values. Like, why... This doesn't even count as a religion anymore. It's so far away from what it was originally supposed to be. And not that things shouldn't evolve over time. They should probably evolve and improve over time. But but you get the point. Um, and that's why people are making the case that Islam is kind of the only surviving religion among the major religions. And if you look at it, it's uh, it's a big growing religion. You know, it seems to be, I forget what the statistics are, but I think it's the fastest growing religion around the world. Um, I mean, obviously... Uh, throughout the Middle East, throughout most of Africa, through a lot, a lot of Asia, uh, it's it is the main religion. Um, you know, obviously there are a lot of Muslims living in Europe, living in the U.S., um, and it's something like where, as I sit here and you know, we go along this journey and this path in life, and I wonder if at some point, I wonder if at some point I will go back to considering myself religious, and I wonder if at some point maybe I would convert to Islam. Maybe I don't know. I mean, it's um, it's something to. Uh, something to think about, but I kind of want to give an analysis of where I'm at on it right now because um, I, like I said, I have really mixed feelings about religion in general. I have mixed feelings about Islam, um, and I think that um, I also I've always seen it. Part of the issue is I saw it a lot at first through the lens of a traditional Westerner who would watch Western media, which you know <laughs> we could talk all we want about media in general, but. Um, I also saw it as a religion that there was a, there was a lot of hypocrisy with. Um, you know, part of my experience in the Islamic world. See, the first Islamic country I spent time in was Jordan, and I actually like Jordan. I mean, I think Jordan's a very nice country. I think that the Islam. I mean, I think that the thing about a country like Jordan is, um, and I haven't been back there for like twelve years now. But I think the thing about a country like Jordan is is that the people are a bit more humbled. They're hardworking, humble people. It's not like the Gulf Arab states where they have a whole bunch of money and that has good and bad that comes with it. Um, Jordan is a very humble people, humble country, very nice country. They're very hospitable. One thing that I will say about Arabs and Muslims in general is they're extremely hospitable people. You know, they will welcome you into your home no matter who you are, no questions asked. And that's something you don't see in the West. Um, and uh, at least not very often. And, you know, Jordan is a very nice, humbling, hardworking uh, Muslim country. You know, I knew some Christians in Jordan as well, but it's an overwhelmingly Muslim country. Um, you know, but then you, you go to, like, the Gulf, and I've never really liked um, the Gulf Arab countries very much or just, like, the Muslims that I've met from there. I have literally I have one friend from Saudi Arabia who I like. 
Other than that, I don't like any of them. <laughs> I just don't. I'm like, God, you guys suck. You guys are cocky. You're usually fat. You think that you're uh, like they were kind of all raised with a silver spoon. Um, they just, I don't know. They seem to be closed-minded. Um, they have a lot of money, so they kind of do whatever they want. This is just like me in general talking about Muslims from from the Gulf. I shouldn't say this about all of them. I've met, I mean, I don't know. How many how many Saudis have I ever met on like a first name basis? Maybe maybe forty or fifty, you know. And um, like just to talk briefly about like the you know the men versus women thing, because obviously Saudi Arabia is still a largely sexually segregated society. Um, and I can't even I don't even know where they're at now in terms of women driving and women going women going out of the house, you know, with or without male relatives. Um, but obviously, the overwhelming majority of people from Saudi Arabia I've spoken with are men. Now, I've spoken with probably five to ten Saudi women on a, in certain contexts, um, you know. Um, and I, I will say this: like one thing that I learned as just a as a non-Muslim, um, you know, throughout the time, you know, learning Arabic and then you know traveling to the Middle East some and, and meeting Muslims and working with some Muslims living in here here in Minnesota. I will say this is that sometimes we get I feel like we get intimidated especially like as like a western man when we see like a woman you know wearing a, like a full veil especially an Islamic veil um really we you can in my experience you can talk to her totally normal uh the, the veil like the veil it's not like she's totally it's it's not like you have to like pretend that you're hiding from her that you don't see her you know because that's like the the psychological thing that it would put in my head is like oh she doesn't want to be seen you know but it's like no well she's wearing what she's wearing because in her culture um, you know it, it's th- that already is doing the job that's doing the job of hiding what she doesn't want you to see she doesn't want you to see the rest of her body um, so you know you could talk to her as normal now that was something that was hard to get through my head that i could just walk up to islamic women in general yeah i mean i'm not gonna hit on them you know i'm not gonna like, <laughs> be like hey what are you doing tonight babe yeah your husband's over there it's all right he's fat come hang out with me no um he probably is fat though if he's a saudi let's let's be real about this i mean i'm just gonna say it right now you gotta have like one funny line in your in your um in your podcast that's about religion like saudi men you gotta get in shape you guys are too fat i'm sorry maybe uh muhammad bin salman will come over here and send some of his hitman hitman to get me but like you guys you guys got to get in shape you guys think you run the world and you're just mostly fat all right so <laughs> fat jokes over um I, I could like i could talk smack about about gulf arab men all day long um and then maybe eventually get a bullet in my head for it if i did it loud enough all right so um where are we at here <laughs> i i always have seen a lot of hypocrisy in like the Gulf Arab states, because obviously these are the most, probably the most traditional Muslim societies in terms of, you know, yeah, just women in general, not being able to leave the house without a male relative, not being allowed to drive, um, you know, things like that, extremely traditional. Um, And there, I do think there are pros to the way they live. It's not all cons. Um, But the thing about it is, you know, no alcohol, obviously, quotation marks air quotes you know this is one of the hypocritical things i mean i know i've I've been to bahrain okay bahrain which is the a small basically island country right across the bridge from eastern saudi arabia i know that the rich saudis go over there for alcohol and hookers on the weekends like i know this is what they do you know um and so i see like and not all of them okay i'm sure not all of them but but i know it exists in society and this is part of the issue i think sometimes when you have a society that is so restrictive when you start repressing certain things that are just natural human needs well all of a sudden there's a nice little bridge over to the place where (laughs) you got some underground clubs that'll do this for you and they're probably i don't even know i actually have not ever been inside saudi arabia but there probably are a lot of um underground places you can go in saudi arabia probably I, i don't know exactly like like dubai for example is a whole other you know the united arab emirates dubai is just another example of a place where lots of people love it but i don't really like it and actually uh, you know one of the people i'll just admit i've talked about him on this podcast before andrew tate has has become a guy that i really actually enjoy listening to and he's become one of the probably five or six most influential people that i listen to nowadays and i like most of his content that's a very contra- controversial statement right there is i like most of andrew tate's content and i think it's very useful for the most part there's probably 10 to 20 percent that i disagree with him on he's he's converted to islam um i kind of disagree with his reasoning a little bit in general one of the things that i also disagree with him on entirely is he talks about how great of a place dubai is okay now i was in dubai for about a week or 10 days maybe five or six years ago um 
and because um, I have a really awesome friend who lives there. And like, okay, here's the thing. Yes, as a Westerner or as a um, you know an Emirati citizen, and there's not even you know it's it's mostly foreigners that live there. But as a Westerner or as an Emirati citizen, it's an incredible place, right? It's it's beautiful, tall buildings. It's arguably the most beautiful city you know you've ever seen. It's man, all man-made. Um, you know, not really any nature, so to speak, until you go out to the desert. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. There's virtually no crime. Um, you know, prices on everything are super high, but everybody there's loaded anyway. Um, it's incredible, except it's it's built by slaves. Like there are, when I was there five or six years ago, there are East Asians, mostly from places like Bangladesh, uh, Malaysia. I can't think of which countries exactly, but but they are there and they are slaves. Let's not. I'm. That's the only word that I can use. Like they live in in camps where the conditions are like inhumane or like very low level housing. The government, I'm pretty sure, like takes their passport and doesn't let them go back home for a certain amount of time. Like you guys probably heard some things, maybe not, because the media hides this stuff. Um, but like about. About Qatar, about Qatar, um, for the um, what was it? What the heck did they have last year? Was it the World Cup? Yeah, um, about how like lots of East Asian immigrants like died in building the buildings because they were in these inhumane conditions in the heat. Uh, like, here's my problem with these Gulf Arab countries: is that they still essentially have slavery. Okay, and the slaves are these East Asian migrant workers. Okay, so a lot of people say you know the Gulf countries, particularly the Arab, the United Arab Emirates, and particularly Dubai, are amazing places. I disagree. They look amazing to those of us who have the privilege of living there under amazing circumstances. Um, so that's my issue with that. Now, um, like I said, I see a lot of hypocrisy in some of these Muslim countries, which is one of the things I've never liked about Islam. But if you if you break it down and you just look at the religion itself, like what does the religion itself promote? Okay, um, you know the, the non-hypocritical practitioners of the religion, if you will. Um, you know, okay, you've got the five pillars of Islam, right? You've got Shahada or the Shahadan, um, you know, you've got Salah, Zakat, Sulm, and Hajj. Okay, so the, so the Shahada just means you, you witness that you, you essentially announce that you are a Muslim. You say there is, you know, uh, what is it? Allah, Allah, Muhammad Rasulullah, I can't even remember. Yeah, like something, there is, there's no other God but God. Muhammad is the, you know, God's prophet, basically. Um, I probably just converted right there. I think that's like the third or fourth time I've actually technically done that in my life. Like, converted to nobody so maybe i'm already a muslim and just didn't know it um but anyway so you would you acknowledge that there is no other god but god and muhammad is god's prophet okay whatever you know for someone like me who comes from the west we're like what are you all right cool what whatever you know and then you've got um salat which is prayer um so pray i mean and theoretically you should be praying five times a day if you're a pious muslim <laughs> you know i mean how how many of them go to the mosque every time how many of them do it five times a day um, but you know, obviously there are some that do and like this, I can even, I, I, I can get down with this. I actually do. I wouldn't. Okay. There's a couple things that I do like. I mean, I, I like all these principles in a certain way, actually. Um, okay. Let me come back to it. Yeah. So the Salah, you pray theoretically five times a day. Zakat, which is like alms giving, essentially giving to charity. Psalm, which is fasting. Um, obviously Ramadan is what we're talking about here. The one month during the year when they fast. And then Hajj is the pilgrimage to Mecca for those who can do it. Okay. So, you know, the prayer. Why do I say I can get down with some of this stuff? Why do I say some of this stuff in, in interests me and I, you know, would, would do it, right? I think it's valuable. Okay. So, um, for me, uh, you know, if you just if you look at, at prayer, right? I'm not someone who prays because I don't really I don't I don't necessarily even believe in God at this stage of my life. Like, well, what am I praying to? What I do is I meditate and reflect. I do sort of believe in you know a universal force, uh, you know, karma, things like that. Um, I I do feel like I'm in touch with. I guess we'll call it with the universe, right? So I do. I sit and I reflect and I meditate. And when you break it all down, what is really the difference? What is the difference between me sitting out looking at the sunrise every morning and reflecting and breathing deeply and, you know, a Muslim going through the different, you know, kneeling down, going through the different prayer positions, you know, looking towards Mecca and, and praying to Allah, right? Well, what is the difference? It's, you're doing the same type of practice, okay? It's to get in touch with the universe, with yourself, to calm thing down, things down, to remember that, that, you know, you are part of a bigger picture, that whatever you're going through right now is not that big a deal. Whatever you want to make of it, it's very similar, okay? Um, you know, yeah, zakat, almsgiving, giving to charity, wonderful, okay? You know, psalm, the fasting. I'm, I'm a big proponent of fasting for physical, well, not even that much for physical reasons sometimes, but like for, for 
you know, for spiritual or mental purposes, I think it's great. I haven't done one in a while, but I used to do like, I used to do a 24 hour fast, like every week or two. Um, I've never done one of those super long ones. Like some of the freaks on here talk about like, yeah, I did like a six day fast, you know? Um, like, all right, well, I don't know if it's that necessary. Maybe someday. Um, it's supposed to be a lot of really good health benefits, but it's, Anyway, yeah, we're not even going to get into the health pros and cons of fasting on this episode. But um, the only thing, my only thing with the Ramadan fasting is that they did it wrong. Like they, they should have picked a different way to do it because what they do is like they binge eat at night. You know, they don't eat or drink anything during the day. And I get it. It teaches them how hard life is for people that don't have that sort of, you know, food or water living out in the desert, you know, whatever. The idea is, you know, they build community and they also sort of learn what life is like for some people, why it's so tough and everything. The way I would have done it, just for health purposes, to make it like a healthy practice, is be like, all right, your your eating window is from like 12 to 1 p.m. every day, you know, and then you fast every the 20 the 23 other hours every day, because like because then you know eating at night just for human health is one of like the worst things you can do. You know, you're supposed to sleep at night and eat during the day and move during the day. That's the way our bodies are designed. That's the way I understand things now. Um, so I just think they did it wrong. You know, like if I could go back and talk to like the original Muhammad and whoever whoever came up with this stuff, be like, yo fellas, come on, let's sleep at night and we can do our little one one meal during the day it would work better and it's a longer fast anyway i mean the no water thing really sucks i've never done a, a dry fast like that but anyway they're tough they're tough you know it's not good for their health i'm just being real but apparently they do build a lot of community and then the hedge of the pilgrimage to mecca okay wonderful i'm sure that builds community too when they dance around that that kaaba or whatever they call the big black thing the cube it's like in uh, transformers optimus prime get to the cube all right sorry they probably like i don't think there's anybody that can come out of this episode and and like like me you know because the muslims definitely aren't going to like me just because like of the uh, of like the many ways that i've sort of like taken shots at their religion already and like making jokes about it you know the christians aren't going to like me because i just i just dumped crap all over their religion at the beginning the jews aren't going to like me because they're like well what he doesn't even know what judaism is how we let's let's set our lawyers up with him and find him millions of dollars that he doesn't have and then like the other the people the you know whether it's hinduism or buddhism or all the other religions they're like you didn't even consider our and then like the atheists are going to be like well he's not i mean he's not an atheist either he said he's the agnostic people might be like okay i guess we can get along with this guy so there's probably like five percent of people who might listen to this and be like all right i guess this guy's okay um okay so those are the main principles those are the five pillars now the interesting thing is we have to look then at like societal values and like like what is actually happening in these societies okay because obviously you've got um the yeah, you get your pillars, whatever, and I feel like, yeah, sure, if someone does that, if someone prays five times a day, that maybe should ground them spiritually, theoretically. Um, you know, they do these other things. They're doing good things in society, right? You know, you have the Quran, which the Quran is, <laughs> I, okay, I've read the whole thing, and I actually don't even think I actually ever read the Bible all the way through and through. I've read a lot of the Bible, like passages and whatever, but I don't think I read it through and through. I read the Quran through and through when I was studying Arabic, and it's... That's an undertaking, okay? That's the, literally a word that my friend used when I told him I did that. He's like, that is an undertaking, man. I'm like, yeah, tell me about it. Uh, this is back when I had more time on my hands. Like, Now I don't even read like a book in English that's like 100 pages, you know? Like Back then I read like a 500-long-page book in Arabic. Um, and by the way, like even native Arabic speakers don't even understand all of it because it's in like their Shakespearean version of Arabic, you know? Um, so it's kind of common. And this is probably why there's all the conflict about like, well, what, no, what did it mean? here no it's been misinterpreted as this we don't even know you know the the quran and the hadith and you know which are like the writings what is even the hadith it's like the you know the the, the stories told of muhammad's time it's it's kind of like a supplement to you know to the quran you know what i mean um but anyway like you read this and uh, one thing I will say about the Quran, okay, I know they've got Muslims all around the world who memorize it. Some people say, you know, oh, it's, it's a bad book or oh, it's a good book or it justifies this or this or this or that. Okay, you know, it talks about, how does it talk about the, the Jews and the Christians? Is it Ahl al-Kitab? Yeah, just like the people of the book. You know, it calls them the people of the book. It says that we're almost on the same side. You guys just didn't recognize Muhammad as the last prophet, whatever, right? Um, what I will say, though, is that it does, it uses this, it uses a couple words 
quite often, which is where I definitely do think all of the the bad stuff and the extremism easily comes from. I mean, it uses the word like monophagine a lot, which means hypocrite. It uses words like kufar. But yeah, I'm pretty yeah, I'm pretty sure it uses kufar or kafirin, which means essentially like the infidels. Um, you know, you can interpret that word different ways, but you know that word gets used all the time. Like when we have. You know, we hear about it a lot when, like, the Islamic State came around um, in 2012, 13, 14, or whatever as a result of, you know, the, the, the chaos that had happened in, in Syria and in Iraq and everything. And, and uh, you know, so all that aside, I mean, I, <laughs> I thought that... <laughs> I'm just gonna put it. I'm just gonna say it like this. I thought the Quran pretty much sucked. <laughs> like I'm, this book. Like I don't know what you're supposed to get out of this. Like it was repeated over and over that like they, whoever they are, are hypocrites, and they are not necessarily infidels is a strong word, but like it's like telling you that like over and over that like the people who don't don't believe exactly what we believe are wrong, and then it would like. I don't know. It, would, it was just very like repetitive, and I can see how people do memorize it because it's all like repetitive and hymnotic and like kind of like a hymn the whole time. But I'm just like, I don't know what you're actually getting out of this book that like teaches the lessons. I feel like I feel like the Bible definitely has, at least from the, what I remember from reading both, is like the Bible definitely has like more sort of realistic type of stories that would teach you about the world. This is just my opinion. Now, now I'm, and, and like the Quranic scholars are going to absolutely hate me if they ever listen to this episode. God, I hope they do. And then I hope they can bring me onto their podcast. I really do. I would really open up the discussion. <laughs> I'd love to open up the discussion on this because I'm just like, this book, not that most religious books are worth a crap anyway, but like this one in particular is like, what are we reading here? It's just over and over of like stories that aren't are like about almost nothing, and then it just says like they're hypocrites and they're and they're misguided, you know, like the Sarat al Mustaqim Allah, like I don't even know. Anyway, um, okay, so I don't really not a huge fan of the book. I don't, I don't like blame the book for all of the you know extremism and everything that happened with Islam, but just not the best read. Okay, even if you get the English version, I guarantee it's not the best read. All right. Um, but <laughs> I, I guess like, um, just trying to like figure out, you know, like then, okay, why, like, cause we have this image in the West, for example, or in the U S that like, oh, well, Islam can't be a very good religion just because like, look at the Muslim world. There's so much poverty. There's all this going on, whatever, all these wars. Okay. Well, the poverty is one thing. Now, the wars, we, we can we can definitely make the argument that, like, why are there so many wars in the Islamic world? We can be like, it's the U.S. government's fault. Like, that we can, um, you know, and that's, it's, it's a bit of a, an overgeneralized statement because, um, obviously, I think certain civil wars throughout the Middle East, the Islamic world, um, started, you know, without U.S. intervention and were going to happen anyway. Um, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict itself is a whole mess that, obviously, the U.S. plays a role in, um, but... But, you know, it's, I, it's, I don't think it's like it wouldn't exist if it weren't for the U.S., you know what I mean? So there would be issues, but you can also argue that, that I mean, I don't, I don't even think people in the U.S. are going to argue with me that the U.S. foreign policy has made things worse throughout most of the Middle East throughout the last 50-plus years. I, I just, yeah. Like, you can say, you can make the case that, like, the U.S. government is basically the reason um, that so many of these wars have happened. Um and so, in terms of like, okay, well, why would you even consider going to Islam when most of the Islamic world is like at war or poor or whatever? Okay, well, it's, it's, and, and to, like to say it's poor is actually not correct. Like, yeah, the war-torn countries are, are super poor right now. Like, I mean, yeah, you wouldn't want to go to Yemen. You wouldn't want to go to Libya. You wouldn't want to go to Syria. You maybe you know, Syria might not have been a bad place. I don't know. I'm trying to think five six decades ago heck uh that's a tough one i don't know um but it's not all all poor certainly um and you know then you know the hardcore muslims will be like yeah well you know muslims back in the whatever centuries invented you know mathematics and all these other great inventions like all right well then step up your game now because you know the <laughs> you guys have been lagging behind for a little while like the point is is like there are ebbs and flows and ups and downs in history of like which religions and which parts of the world have more more or less, I don't know, success, if I can use that word. Um, so I'm certainly not even going to use, I'm not going to use like poverty or living conditions throughout the Muslim world as a good judge 
of whether or not it's a good religion. I'm really looking more just at like the societal principles aspect of it here. And since I've rambled enough before getting to the societal principle, well, yeah, no, so, okay, so let's just go into the societal principles now and like really what's happening in practice because those five pillars are wonderful, you know, blah, 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 blah. But like what's really happening on the ground, you know, in Muslim societies versus in a Christian or a or a half-baked fake Christian society like most of the U.S. is at this point. Um, and see, this is an argument that gets made by these people who say, who are pushing for more religion nowadays just because they say, well, there comes a point where you can't be so, so tolerant. Like here in the U.S., particularly in progressive cities like Minneapolis, we're extremely tolerant. We're tolerant of everything. We're obviously tolerant of gay marriage. We're tolerant of, of uh, you know, transgender rights. We're tolerant of everything. And they say, at some point, though, you have to draw a hard line. Otherwise, it's just a slippery slope. And they'll say, you know, the real religious people will say, there's going to come a point where humans are just allowed to have sex with animals. And they're allowed to have sex with children. And pedophilia is accepted because we're going down a slippery slope. Now, we could debate that. Like I said, I think we can debate whether or not homosexuality and transgenderism is truly a slippery slope. We could debate that. Um, but that's kind of the reasoning on why they say we should be more principled or we should stand for something that's a bit more rigid, like a, you know, a standard traditional religion, whether it's Christianity in the traditional sense or Islam or whatever. Um, now, um, in, okay, in the Muslim world, you know, in a traditional Islamic society, um, you know, yeah, homosexuality is, uh, well, I don't even know the, the true legality of it in all different Muslim countries, but we can basically say that it is n not allowed. Let's use the word not allowed, okay? Um, you know, traditionally, you're going to have families where a man marries a woman. Arranged marriage does, of course, still exist. I don't think it's that common. I don't have statistics on this. Um, you know, uh, the, the traditional role, okay, you're going to see, you know, a man and a woman who are going to have children. It's likely that the man is going to work outside the home. The woman may or may not. The woman is going to have a role more so as, I don't like to use the word housekeeper, but her role is going to be more, um, you know, to do things around the house, whether that's cooking, cleaning, or taking care of the kids, things like that. Um, and again, I'm generalizing here, and I shouldn't even speak so much about this just because I've never actually grown up in an Islamic house. Um, you know, the woman will likely wear, not necessarily like a full veil, you know, okay, so like, you know, there's different terms. There's the, you know, just the veil, al-hijab, um, there's niqab, which I'm trying to remember. So the niqab is the one that fully covers everything except the, the eyes. That's kind of what they wear in Saudi Arabia and lots, some of the Gulf states. And then, you know, just that hijab, um, the hijab is what they wear in, what most Muslims wear throughout most of the Muslim world, where you can see their full face and even some of their hair and everything. And actually, to be honest, I really do find Islamic women's clothing, particularly, you know, the uh, ones who just wear the hijab, to be very beautiful. They're very well-dressed, well very beautiful. And I, I actually, I even, I would agree with this, that, like, not necessarily that women should be wearing a hijab, but um, I think if you were to create an ideal society, we should probably have women, we should probably go back to where women and men are dressing a little bit more conservatively in general just because i think right now promiscuity de degeneracy pornography everything you know throughout the western world is really really high right now and obviously social media has had a massive impact on this you know because girls have learned uh, and guys you know but mostly yeah girls have learned that you know show some booty pictures with very little clothing and showing lots of skin and you're going to get lots of likes because there's lots of stupid guys out there and obviously obviously i've been part of this problem okay lots of stupid guys out there are going to like that and follow that and you're going to get thousands and thousands of followers for it okay um i think that ultimately the drawbacks of that in society are th th there are a lot of them it's very negative towards society in a lot of ways we know that the mental health of young women is in the tank right now because they see all of these instagram models who look perfect um, and it makes them sad about their own self-image the same thing actually exists in young men to a certain extent for different reasons slightly i would say um, we know that pornography is a big, big problem in society right now. I've talked on this podcast before about pornography both on a personal and societal level is a big problem, and that's why I've actually decided to do a full six-month detox from any porn or masturbation and then kind of go from there to see if it's something that I would consider allowing back into my life. But the ramifications of it are very, very negative. I think that um, it's, a, it's something that... Uh, it just it just makes young men in particular less likely to actually go out there and try to have 
sex with a woman and to procreate because ultimately we do need to have sex now ideally you would do this you know in a marriage situation where you're trying to have kids but like we got to start somewhere you know men we're whether it's in a perfect happily perfectly happy marriage or you're just hooking up with someone who you're you know <laughs> who you met a few you know a few weeks ago or last night or whatever it's got to start somewhere like we got to we got to start getting some action somehow masturbation and pornography is not going to do it okay it's not good for human society in general um you know and so uh I while I don't think that you know women wearing veils is totally necessary, I think some more traditionalism in the way that women and men dress would probably be good for society. I really do think that. And gosh, you know, this is wild actually now that I think about this because man, oh, this is a tough one. You guys like how I like have ideas and switch my thoughts in the middle of the episode because I'm thinking like I in the summer especially I go outside a lot with my shirt off just because I believe it's good for me and I don't wear sunscreen in general just because I'm a huge believer in getting as much vitamin D as possible in the summer months here in Minnesota so I'm probably outside with my shirt off 10 or 15 minutes per day you know and I'm outside a lot more than that total but like yeah and um I'm like oof because, you know, theoretically, men, you know, probably should be dressing somewhat traditional in public as well. And I live in, you know, a city, so there's always someone that can see me wherever I am outside. <clears throat> Tough one. All right. Well, I don't know. It's, you, you can just chalk it up and be like, yeah, Sean doesn't know what he's talking about on that point. But all right. So um, we went there, talked about, you know, um, kind of the way family structures work a little bit differently. Let's address the, the multiple wives thing, the polygamy thing, because... This this one is a really interesting topic when you really understand uh, just true male you know psychology biology and everything. I, I am a believer that especially as men we are wired to want to have sex with multiple women and it's very difficult for us to. Okay, how how do I phrase this? We're always going to be interested sexually in other women. Probably. Um, I'm also one that I say that I do believe that monogamy is probably going to be the best thing for me. I do plan to get married. I do plan to have children. I do think that monogamy, a monogamous relationship with one woman, one, one wife, is probably the, probably the best thing for me. I'm not going to say I'm 100% sure because I'm not 100% sure. I think it's probably the best thing for me. I think it's probably the best way to raise a family, and that's probably what I want. Okay, I may switch at some point, but I think that's probably what I want. And I think that the discipline that comes from maintaining a strong monogamous relationship is more valuable than what we're looking for as men when we talk about having sex with multiple partners, okay? Now, I do think that evolutionarily, we have we have that desire. And, 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 you know, you could make the case, yeah, women probably have that desire too to a certain extent. I think most people who study this topic would agree that men have more of an urge to have multiple partners than women. But, you know, let's, let's focus only on men here because we're talking about Islam and we're talking about polygamy and up to four wives, okay? Now, first, this doesn't actually exist that much in practice now. Um, you know, I've met a few Muslims who have multiple wives. Um, I would say, in my experience, I think the majority just have monogamous, you know, one-on-one husband-wife relationships. Now, as I understand it, uh, like the big reason that this was allowed supposedly in the Quran and, you know, in times of Muhammad um, is just because it was said that a a lot of men would die in war, um, which, wait a minute, is that the reasoning? Gosh, what was the reasoning? Is that... Gosh, I can't remember. It was well, it was something. It's it's always whenever I hear the arguments for polygamy and like why men evolved into wanting multiple partners, it's always mostly about the survival of the species. It's either related to that like the men in war are going to die, or that like you know we need to make as many children as possible. Like this is just like it throughout the animal kingdom. You know, in general, males are just. They're just trying to. They're trying to hit as much as possible. Like they're they're trying to have sex as much as possible. They're trying to 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 reproduce as much as possible, just for the you know the continuity of the species, right? And theoretically, as human beings, this is how men. This is how males probably evolved way back when as well, right? Now the thing about it is, I don't think that that's necessarily a smart principle to use nowadays because we are in a different time and place. I'll I like we we can debate like population decline and and all this stuff in a different episode because there is some evidence this is as okay so this is actually part of the reason I'm pro life now for the most part on abortion is because I do believe that in the west too many uh, abortions happen for um you know just 
just by choice. Too many elective abortions happen um, that aren't related to, you know, the woman's health being in jeopardy or, uh, you know, rape or incest. I think that there's a far too large percentage of, um, you know, just abortion as a contraceptive method. And I don't think that that should be that way, which is why I'm mostly pro-life now. Um, And you can make the case that we should in general be pro-life just to avoid the risk of population decline, particularly in a lot of Western countries. Um, now, with that, with that being said, I think that we do live in a different society now. Life expectancy is greater. You know, infant mortality is much lower. Um, you know, if a man and woman get married and have two to three children, you know, it's it's very likely that those two to three children live a long a long life. You know, and that is a way to sustain. Uh, humanity to sustain society. It's not like men need to be out banging a woman every <laughs> every three days, all right? Uh, you know, to keep society going. We're not we're not in those times anymore. So, and I don't know that much more about the argument for like multiple wives. Um, that's probably something I would be against. See, this is this is the hard thing. Is like. Um, yeah, this is this is that's a tricky one, and and I will say like my stance on that is not even one hundred percent established. My stance on monogamy is not one hundred percent established. I think it's probably what I support and probably what's best for me, but it, it could change at some point because there's a lot of factors that go into this, and that's the hard thing about all of this is when you when you look at any religion or heck any political ugh, party or movement, especially like here in the U.S. nowadays. It's like it's either you have to subscribe to everything in a certain way. And I'm like, well, okay, no, no, no. You know, maybe 70 to 80% of the stuff that Islam is promoting and these principles and practices I can get down with. But the other 20 to 30%, I'm like, no, 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 not into that. You know, um, I don't know. Um, so, you know, there's, yeah, there's there's the multiple wives thing, which I don't really like. Um, there's, like I said, uh a couple of very nice things about Islamic societies in general. Number one are just like the hospitality. You know, Arabs, Muslims in general are, are super hospitable. Um, I mentioned that before. Low crime in general, um, I would say that just like petty crime is very low. Um, like theft, things like that is very low. I mean, like, I'm not trying to talk smack to the Latinos because you know I love my Latinos and my Brazilians. But like you guys, your countries, you got petty crime up the wazoo. Like when I'm walking around in Latin America, I know I could get robbed at any point, especially in Brazil. And Brazil is still probably my favorite country outside of the U.S. But like you in Brazil, you can get robbed anytime, any day, anywhere. It does not matter. You, you like they don't care. They will, they're going to come rob you because that's the type of society. And obviously, a big part of this is just because of the inequalities in society, you know, poverty, things like that, um, governments being corrupt and unfair, you know, people. It, it happens. It starts with a need for something, right? It starts with unfairness in society. Um, but there could also be like a morality aspect of it as well because I would bet you that in a traditional Muslim society, no matter how poor they are, um, you're not going to see very much of that. Now, part of it, like, and this is the one one good thing I would say, in my opinion, still, about um, you know Saudi Arabia, Gulf countries. Why are people not you know committing like petty theft at a convenience store? Because you're going to get your hand chopped off. That's the punishment for stealing. You don't want to get your hand chopped off, you know. Um, and and I don't even know. I like some of this stuff. I like quote as if I like know it for sure. I, I really I'm not even 100 percent positive, but like the punishment is very harsh for crimes like that. Okay, and. Nowadays, I don't know, I have a bit of a different perspective than most suburban white Americans do on punishment that I've developed over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I've said it, I think, on this podcast before. I think that you can make the case. This is an unpopular opinion, in, especially like in white suburban America. But I think that you can, you can make the case um, that, you know, physical punishment of children uh, is acceptable in certain rare situations. Um, just because, you know, as, as a part of life, if you cross certain lines that should not be crossed, you will be met with violence. That's just the reality of the world. Um, and so we should maybe teach those lessons to kids in rare cases when it's truly necessary. Um, just because, you know, physical punishment of of children is completely frowned upon for the most part, um, you know, in, I'll call it white America, you know, uh, yeah, and even, you know, modern America in general, whereas it's still a bit more common uh, within black and Latino communities, for example, here in the U.S. But the point is, is that the, um, the, there are certain things, uh, and you know, harsh punishment. I mean, harsh punishment will reduce crime. <laughs> it, it, it does work, um, you know, and 
obviously there's some gray areas there as well, you know, lashing and flogging and stuff. You see, I've seen some horrific stuff, you know, on most of the stuff is stuff I've seen on the internet. Just, um, um, you know, I don't know. Um, so yeah, once again, it's, there's a, there's a lot of gray area. You have to figure out where you draw the line with stuff, but, um, yeah. Uh, gosh, what else to talk about? I mean, I know it's a lot. I, let me address, okay. Do I even want to address this? Jihad? Because, I mean, we hear, you know, you'll hear about, what about, like, jihad, right? Some people will say, that, oh, yeah, it's like the Islamic jihad, you know, it's, and then, like, half of the, like, the um, the political, you know, half the political movements or, like, the the rebel movements or the militia movements have jihad in their name as well. Jihad al-Islami, al-Jihad al-Mutawahid, al I don't even know what, right? But um, it's, it's all jihad. But, you know, and so you'll, sometimes you'll hear jihad as, like, literally meaning, um, uh, you know, <coughs> gosh, well, okay, some, they'll say it means struggle, right? Struggling for something. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, these are signs from Allah that I need to watch my words here. Um, he's giving me a cough. No, but, um, you know, sometimes it's just meant to mean like struggle as in like any type of struggle we have to go through in life to earn things. Other times you will hear it described as holy war. Um, and I mean, for me, God, I can't even, I don't remember exactly what the Quran says about jihad exactly. Um, once again, it's just one of those things. There are a lot of things that are interpreted in different ways here. Um, and Maybe I think this is another one. Yeah, they, I think with like jihad, um, it's, it's same with like the topic of extremism and you know terrorism. I'm gonna just leave it out because like when we talk about jihad in the negative sense, when they'll say like you know holy war against the West or whatever, that's like a a small percentage of what it actually means. And so I'm just gonna like leave that out because I'm not talking about that. Like this episode is not about me talking about you know. Islam as a, as a as a warring religion because and then there's just that whole thing too you know like there's these people who will say like you know you'll hear like the two sides of the argument and be like well Islam is obviously just like a violent religion all they want to do is do jihad against us and then the other people will say like well no Islam is actually a peaceful religion did you know that Islam the word Islam means like salam it means peace in Arabic and blah 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 and well it's like once again human beings we're just not that black and white we're not like all peace all war all good all bad we're all in the middle somewhere and the situations dictate how we behave um, so I don't know and that's kind of like my whole big thing is that I just, um, and part of the reason I'm not particularly religious is because I think that religion oversimplifies things. I really, I think that I think that humans like religion because it simplifies things. Same reason that 51% of America supposedly, probably, I shouldn't even say the word supposedly, but I just did it. 51% of America voted for Donald Trump in 2016, okay? Because Donald, <laughs> because Donald Trump made things simple. Make America great again. We're going to make America great again. We're losing. We're losing. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, okay, yeah, some things could be improved. But, like, it's so simple. It's oversimplified. Every politician that's successful does this. They simplify things that are extremely detailed and nuanced because as human beings, we want that. We want the simplification. But it actually, it's... It's it's not the reality. And same thing when it comes to religion. I think that religion is an oversimplified version of the way to look at the world. That there's just this there's this God up there, and that if you do good, you'll go to heaven, and if you do go, go bad, you go to hell. Like I think it's just oversimplifying things for people. Um, when I just think that humans are extremely complex creatures. I, I I believe in evolutionism more than I believe in creationism. I believe that we are all I believe that we evolved to survive and this is the same as all animal species right now I believe that we're lucky enough to live at a time in humanity where most of us do not have to struggle to survive in a traditional sense on a day-to-day -day basis so we have this thing in our heads and our hearts that we are good people because I'm not out there you know I wouldn't do barbaric things and commit barbaric acts and I'm a good person I'm a good guy well what would you do if you had to survive and there were no other options the same way that the polar bear eats the seal if there's you know you're going to do some savage stuff as well if you don't have any other options to survive you're just lucky enough to have been raised in you know a humanity at a time where we don't have to be savages that often but look out because it's some it could happen at any point let's just be real about this it could happen at any point where modern society collapses uh, for one reason or another and we do have to resort to savagery i mean it happens in certain parts of the world in different wars um you know and and, and war is ugly and you know when people have to survive things get really ugly um, but i just don't in general like religion because i think it oversimplifies things
for people and human life is just not that simple but I mean just to kind of like wrap things up with my opinion on Islam the reason I say that okay you know I, I think I've made my point about why it's the only religion that maybe kind of still counts or we could still count on as a religion okay because it still I think for the most part around the world for the most part I'm not going to say that much because there's a, there's a lot of hypocrisy and there's a lot of places that are much more like I guess progressive Muslim societies, right? Um, I would say throughout kind of Northwest Africa is sort of like that in particular. Um, you know, we have a mix of traditionalists versus, you know, very non-traditional type Muslims. Um, but it's a bit closer probably still to its roots. And I don't even say that its roots are necessarily good. Um, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should go to it because its roots are good. I'm just saying in terms of the traditional, you know, aspects of the religion, it probably, based on what I see and what I've heard and what's been analyzed by others, it probably is still the closest to its roots. But this is coming from a guy, like I said, who I'm not religious. So I'm not saying that makes it better or worse in any certain way. It just is what it is. Oh, I don't know. I babbled a lot. That was like one full hour. Yeah. I suppose I should just stop talking right now. We're at 59 and 58. One hour on the dot. Oh, but wait, I forgot about the ad. I'm going to have an ad in this episode. I had stopped it right there at one hour on the dot, but then I'm like, no, it's not even going to be one hour on the dot for the listeners because there's going to be like a 30 or 40 second ad in the middle of it. And then I'm like, should I just not put the ad? Because, yeah, because maybe I'll just make it an hour exactly. But I'm like, no, I got to put the ad in there. I got to get a little, little extra money from this episode. We're monetizing this. Come on. We're not going to not monetize this episode. Like I said, I'm not religious, okay? I, like, I'm, I'm not even religious. I can monetize whenever I want, all right? If I was going to be super pious and religious, maybe I'd be like, well, I just shouldn't shouldn't monetize the episode. It's a sign from God. We're monetizing. All right. Okay, okay. All right. All right. That's all. All right. Love you all. Talk again soon. Peace.